0: Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. How's it going, Redeemer? If you have your Bibles, open up to Daniel chapter three. Daniel chapter three. Hey, when I was in college, I had a couple of buddies who joined up with the Marines. And when they came back from their training, they were ridiculously fit, but they also had this confidence, a confidence that was um, intimidating, but also attractive. And I remember thinking, there's just no way I could make it through what they just went through. But it turns out less than 10% of people wash out of boot camp because the purpose isn't to break people, it's to strengthen and stretch them beyond themselves to make Marines and to prepare them for what lies ahead. Well, in the same way, God will let us go through trials to strengthen us and to stretch us, to make us more like Christ and to prepare us for what lies ahead. Well, today, we're gonna see Daniel's three friends go through one of the hardest trials of their lives, but we're gonna learn some valuable lessons that will help to prepare us to handle trials of our own, right, So, so real quick, let me catch you up with this series. In chapter one, we saw Daniel and his friends captured out of Jerusalem and brought into into captivity to Babylon. This is where they're educated in dark practices. They're stripped of their manhood. They're given new identities, yet they remain faithful to God. Then in chapter 2, God, through Daniel, reveals to King Nebuchadnezzar that his kingdom is temporary. It's not going to last forever. In fact, there's only one kingdom that lasts forever, and it's the kingdom of of god now 16 to 20 years have passed where at the end of chapter 2 nebuchadnezzar had high praise for god that has slowly dwindled to now it's just mere tolerance and and now we pick up in chapter 3 verse 1. we read king nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits he set it up on the plain of dura in the province of babylon so he, he builds this huge statue 90 feet tall nine feet wide. It's in the image of a human, most likely Nebuchadnezzar, but it would have looked really awkward. I mean, the average person is five times taller than they are wide. This is 10 times taller than it is wide. So just a a tall, lanky looking statue. But what's happening here, right? Well, in the context of chapter two, he had this dream. And when Daniel interprets it, he says, hey, you're the head of gold. But he says that that, 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 head will one day fall to the chest of silver right it's so like that your kingdom will not last forever it'll be temporary and so what's happening here is as 16 to 20 years have passed his kingdom has continued to expand and he's thinking maybe i can beat this prophecy maybe i can eliminate the silver and the bronze and the iron maybe this thing can be all gold so when he builds an all gold statue it's a way of saying i think i can build an eternal kingdom right? so that's his desire He wants an eternal kingdom. He wants heaven on earth. He wants his own paradise. He wants a place that caters first and foremost to all of his wants and needs, to his desires, which truth be told, that's all of us. We all have the heart of Nebuchadnezzar unless the Holy Spirit works to change it. We all have this desire to to create environments where things cater to our wants and needs and to our desires. Nebuchadnezzar just had more resources to pull it off, but he's trying to create paradise. He's trying to create heaven on earth. He's trying to do so apart from God. All right. So the problem that he has though, the problem with creating this everlasting kingdom is that as he's conquered all these other nations, these different nations have different languages. They have different heritages and traditions. They have different deities. And so religiously speaking with all these little G gods running around, people giving themselves to their, to their deities, It's it's creating fragmentation within the empire. And so that difference, the difference of worship, is causing disunity. And so he knows, man, if if we're not unified around a singular thing to worship, this kingdom might fall. This empire might might not last. And so if we want to create something that's everlasting, something that, that will withstand the test of time, I need to bring people together. And so his solution is to basically elevate himself. He's like, hey, we need to bring church and state together. And so I wanna elevate myself to the most high so that people will not only look to me as their political leader, but people will also look to me as their spiritual leader. So he wants to be seen as both their political and spiritual leader so that people worship him and that they don't divide over different unities, but unite around one. So he basically wants people to see him as the most high God. All right, look at verse two and three. In verse two and three, we read, the king. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So he extends an invite to all of these officials. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered for that dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All right, so what's happening here is he extends an invite in verse 2, and they show up in verse 3, which is different than our culture because you have the White House and sometimes Um, The president will invite people. Like Maybe a championship team. He's like, hey, I want to host you at the White House. And that championship team might decide, we're not going to show up. We're going to protest. And that's an option in our country because there's freedom, but not in Babylon. There wasn't an RSVP system. If you were invited, you showed up. If you didn't show up, it was your head. And so he invites these guys and they show up to the dedication ceremony. Right? Now, in verse 4, it says, And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, Scottish people are here, right? And every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down in worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fire, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lair, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I mean, think about, like this is a call to worship. Imagine if you came to Redeemer and we did a call to worship and said, hey, here in a, here in a second, we're going we're gonna to worship. You can find those songs in the worship guide. And, and if you don't sing, we're going to burn you alive it's like all of a sudden that song, 10,000 reasons where the lyric goes sing like never before people are going to be singing like never before. if That's how we're calling people to worship. Right? So, so what's happening though is this is a, like I said, the spirit of Babylon works to counterfeit what God does. Um, God will bring revival in crazy, awesome ways. And what's happening here is this is a counterfeit revival. And right, this is a counterfeit worship service. Imagine if we went down to Atlanta to a big, a big concert and they rent out the whole Mercedes Benz stadium and you have a powerful worship band singing songs and people are joining in worship. And then you have one of the best pastors or preachers speaking a, an evangelistic sermon and then at the end they say "They say, hey if, if you've trusted Christ you know we'd love to have you come forward there's just too many people so if you've trusted Christ would you just stand up where you are and then imagine like in a revival where where just hundreds and thousands of people stand up and what they're doing when they stand up is they're publicly professing their faith in Christ. They're, they're, they're saying in a public way, I'm dedicated to following him, right? So this counterfeit service, people aren't standing up, they're bowing down, but when they bow down, it's a public profession of faith. It's a public way of saying we are dedicated to following him this deity as our spiritual leader. We are dedicated to the worship of this God, all right? So the the first chord strums and then thousands, some scholars say up to 3,000 people bow down across the ground except for three, all right? Daniel's three friends remain standing, okay? Look at verse eight. It says, therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Let's just stop there for a second. These Chaldeans, right, they would have been a part of, of Nebuchadnezzar's wise men from chapter two. So what happened is all of these wise men had a death sentence because they couldn't perform what Nebuchadnezzar needed them to perform. Right? So they should be dead. But Daniel and his three friends step in and bring an interpretation to the king that saves all of their lives. So the only reason these Chaldeans are alive is because of Daniel's three friends. Yet they have such deep hatred that in verse 8 they step forward maliciously to try to, to try to rid the kingdom of their enemies. So they step forward maliciously and accuse them. All right? So there's three accusations in verses 9 through 12. They make these accusations to basically get Daniel, um, Daniel's three friends murdered, okay? Verse 13, the Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage, so Nebuchadnezzar just found out that these three guys did not bow down and worship his statue. The Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So what's happening here is is he's providing a second chance. Now, any other guy, any other group of friends would have immediately been executed. But Nebuchadnezzar knows that these guys have faithfully served him. He knows that what they bring to the table is valuable for his rule and reign. And so he basically says, look, I know you wanna be loyal to your God, I can respect that. You've also been loyal to me but let's think about your god he wasn't able to deliver you back in jerusalem so what makes you think he's going to deliver you now i tell you what i'm gonna give you a second chance um, why don't you let me be your god why, why don't you let me be your god and if you let me be your god if you'll worship me then then everything's going to be good but if not like i am going to have to stick to my words but i'm gonna give you one more chance all right now picking up in verse 16. Let's see how they respond to this offer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. All right, so they're like, we know our God can, we know our God will, but even if he doesn't, we still know he's good. All right, so so when they say, if not, I just want to point out, this is not an escape clause. This is not them saying like, let's just kind of give God an out in case this doesn't come through so we can still feel good about him. It's like, no, 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 they're not providing an escape clause just in case it doesn't work out. What they're doing is they are submitting to God's will. They're saying, we believe God can. We believe God will. But at the end of the day, we trust his wisdom above our own. We think it'd be good for us to get delivered, but if he sees another reason for delivering us um, or not delivering us, then, then we're okay with that because we know that he knows what's best. All right. Now I want to point out a, a couple of things, all right? At the end of the day, they know they're going to be delivered. They will either be delivered from death or through death. They'll, they'll be miraculously saved from death, or they'll be brought to Jesus through death. But either way, to live or to die is to be delivered for them. And I think it's important for us to know that, that most of the times, like when you look through scripture, most times God doesn't bring us around trials. He brings us through trials, so, so most likely for your life, God's not going to give you escape. He's going to push you through. All right, so you think about you know, Noah went through the flood. Daniel and his friends had to go through Babylon. Jesus brought salvation by going through the cross. Okay? And so God's promise to us isn't that he'll get us out of trials, but that he will get us through our trials. So think about what you're going through right now in life. Think about the areas of of life where where you need to have the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like, where's an area of your life that you need to start believing God in? Where you're like, I I know he can, I know he will. Maybe it's for a restored marriage. Maybe it's for the return of a wayward child. Maybe it's for healing. Maybe it's for for something else. But, But think about, like, where do you need to believe God? Can God restore your marriage? Yes. Can God bring your wayward child back? Yes. Can God bring healing? Absolutely. Can God? Yes. But we need to determine before deliverance comes, how will we respond if it doesn't? That, that we need to determine that before, all right? Not after, not during, but before. We need to say, okay, Like, but God, even if you don't, I'm still going to worship you. Right? We need to determine beforehand, how will we respond if we don't? I mean, a key theme of Daniel is, how will we respond to God when we don't get what we want? Think about Daniel. Like Daniel had all these dreams that he didn't get. He didn't get to grow up in Jerusalem. He didn't get to have a family. He didn't get to, to have land. He didn't get to leave a legacy and pass it on to kids. Like he didn't get any of that. But despite not getting what he wants, he's still faithful to God. So how will, how will we respond to God when we don't get what we want. That's a theme that we need to to see in Daniel. You see, it's easy to worship God when things go your way, but true faith worships God, even when there's concern, even when there's doubts, even when there's confusion. You see those who walk away from God in anger, in the midst of suffering, they normally do so not because the trial was too hard, they do so because their faith lacked strength and their faith wasn't genuine, right? Let's keep going. Verse 19. Verse 19 it says, The Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. He's flipping out. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So we know that there, there was kind of a, a fatherly love when he extended that second offer, but now that's gone. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. So he's like, bring it up seven times, all right? And if you think about that, like he's, he's just lost his temper, but he's not thinking straight. If you wanna to really torture someone, don't bring up the temperature, bring it down make the process last longer. I mean, fire's fire. So, so he's not thinking straight, but he jacks the temperature up. And, and that's the spirit of Babylon. You see the spirit of Babylon, what it does is it turns up the heat on God's people until they conform because the spirit of Babylon knows that courage is hard and compromise is easy. So think, think about that. When's a time you were under pressure and you compromised your convictions? When's the time that you were under pressure and you found yourself compromising in your convictions? We've all all done it. We've all done it, but, but here's the good news, right? Jesus died for that, which means that when you fail, when you compromise, God's love for you doesn't change. He loves you just as much after the fact as he did before the fact. And the good news is that Jesus rose again, which means the same power that rose Jesus from the grave now lives in you, which gives you the strength not to compromise next time. So, so there's good news, even when you compromise, there, there, there's a way forward. So don't beat yourself up if you compromise, but ask God for the strength, not the the, the spirit, the Holy Spirit to be in you to fight against the spirit of Babylon working against you, all right? Uh, look, at, look at verses 20 through 23. Verses 20 through 23. All right, it says, and he ordered some of the mighty men. These are the strongest guys. Right, these are these are your linebackers, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent, and the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound. Into the burning, fiery furnace. Look, there's not a standard for like distance to a fire that you can get when it's been heated seven times. So imagine these these mighty men are walking up, and they've got to have a discussion. Hey, how far do you think we can throw these guys? You know, there there might have been maybe like a, a six foot diameter hole at the top. So think like, how far back can we stand and accurately throw these guys and get them to land in the furnace? Like. Like, I can throw a football over that mountain. I don't care how far you can throw a football over that mountain, like how far can you throw a dude? Five, 10, 15 feet? So they make their guess, they go up, and when the furnace opens and they chunk them in, they get too close, and basically their their skin, because of the flames, is fried off of their bodies. So they throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they lose their lives, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall into the furnace bound, right? They're completely bound by ropes. All right, so, so what happens here? Okay, what happens here? Well, um, look at verses 24 and 25. It says, The king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to the counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods, right? And so so what happens is apparently this furnace has a way where you can see in for public executions. And so he's looking in there and and he's like, these guys, there's, there's a fourth dude. There's a fourth guy walking around. And, and so I believe that's Jesus, right? And what this does is, is, is Jesus is with them in the fiery furnace. It's foreshadowing what's going to happen in the New Testament. It's foreshadowing how Jesus comes off of his throne to be with his people right well then in in verses 26 through 27 um, the king's like hey i need you guys to come out like you guys like he's like you guys come on out right and i don't know if you've ever been um, to a campfire but if you ever go camping and you have a fire uh, the smoke blows one direction your direction and you can try to escape it you can move but like Liam Neeson, it will find you, right? And so these guys come out of a fiery furnace, not a hair singed, and they don't even have the smell of smoke on them. It's it's crazy. And then at the end of this, at the end of chapter three, what happens is just like at the end of chapter two, King Nebuchadnezzar is praising their God, not his God, right? There's, so the type of relationship with Jesus, like you've got to have a personal relationship. It's got to be your relationship, not your parents, not your grandma's. So, so he's, he, but he's still, nonetheless, he's amazed at the way that their God has delivered them from death. All right, so what's the big thing to take away today? Well, well here's, here's the main point I want us to see. The trials. Satan hopes will crush you. Christ uses to strengthen and stretch you to become more like him. When you, when you go through trials, Satan's hope is that those trials will crush you. But those same trials are the things that Jesus uses to strengthen you and to stretch you to become more like him. Here's something you need to know. And and the sooner you come to grips with this, the better. As a follower of Christ, you are always in a trial, coming out of a trial, or going into a trial. Like, you're either in the middle of it, you're coming out of it, or you're going back into it. And truth is, is sometimes there's just multiple things overlaying it, where you might be coming out of one trial while heading into another in the midst of one that's still going. And, and so we face trials constantly, okay? And these are like spiritual boot camps they're not outside of god's control so why would god allow us to go through them well god is preparing us to not compromise in our faith he's preparing us to stand firm and and that means that we need some environments that don't cater to our comforts but push us towards courage that push us towards christ okay so we're going to find ourselves in trials satan wants those trials to crush us But Jesus will use those trials to strengthen and to stretch us to become more like Him. And God allows us to go through these so that we will learn to not compromise in our faith, so that we will learn to stand firm in our faith. And so because He cares so much about our standing firm with Him, He puts us in environments where our our comforts aren't catered to. He puts us in environments where we are pushed towards courage, where we are pushed towards Christ and, and I think Christ is the greatest example of courage we have. Think about how Jesus got into the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? They're in the fiery furnace, the fourth man shows up. Okay. Jesus got into the furnace with, right? Emphasize the word with. <laughs> he got into the furnace with them. Well in Matthew 13, this is really interesting. In Matthew 13, Jesus compares God's eternal wrath to the fiery furnace of Daniel chapter 3. In Matthew 13, Jesus compares the eternal wrath of God to the fiery furnace of Daniel chapter three. But here's the deal. Jesus doesn't come into history to stand with us in that furnace. The furnace of God's wrath, Jesus does not come into history to stand with us. He goes alone in our place, saying, God, not my will, but yours be done. You see, when it comes to God's wrath, he doesn't stand with us. He stands for us. And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked out of the fiery furnace, Jesus walks out of the grave. And and he does that for two reasons. (laughs) To offer us strength, to face our trials, but also to offer us eternal life. And so I don't know where you are today. If you've never trusted Christ though, Jesus walked out of the grave. He stood for you in in the furnace of God's wrath to offer you everlasting life with him. And so if you've never trusted Jesus, I wanna call you to ask God for forgiveness of your sins and say, I trust that Jesus lived the life I couldn't live. I believe that he died the death that I deserved, and I know that he rose again from the grave, and i gonna do the best I can to follow him for the rest of my life. If you would pray that in your own words, from your heart of hearts, you can enter into eternity today. But for others of us who already have trusted Christ, this is a time to remember that Jesus walked out, and he gives us the same strength, that that helped him to walk out of the grave to face our trials, and so today we want to take communion. And so, if you're trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone, um, after I pray, Leah's going to close us out. But after that, you're going to have some time to take communion. And as you as you take the bread, remember that that Jesus' body was broken for you. Right? He doesn't stand with us in God's wrath. He stands for us. His body was broken for you, and his blood was spilt for you to give you new and eternal life. And, and the realness of these elements that we hold and that we consume, that's the realness of the strength of Christ that's in us. So take time to, to remember the cross, but also to celebrate the resurrection and to ask God to give you strength for the trial that you are either going into, or in the middle of, or maybe coming out of. All right, let me pray for us. And then Leah will close us out, and then you'll have time to respond. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, their trial did not crush them. It strengthened and stretched them, and it helped them to become more like you. And so God, help us to have that same type of courage. God, give us strength not to compromise. God, give us courage to stand firm. And so God, and use our trials like boot camps. God, use them to conform us into an image of Christ. God, use them to strengthen us. Use them to stretch us. Use them to prepare us so that we're ready for for what lies ahead. God, we know that you are good. God, we believe you for healing. We know you can. We believe you will. God, we trust your wisdom above our own. That's your holy name we pray. Amen. Hey, have a great week. And I hope to see you next week as we jump into chapter 4. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.